0: Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, and joining me today is my Corona compatriot, Tom Lewis. How are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing well, Mark. Good talking with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive into this. So today, uh you shot me over an email from uh, from Mike Prada. He's doing a NBA titleless index. There's a field of 64 teams that that did not win a title and we're kind of going going to dive into into why and what made up the teams and what could have uh maybe gone differently and some of the high highlights and low lights of those seasons. And we have we have three three teams that we're we're we're, we're going to Kind of maybe evaluate what other teams maybe could have been here. So we got the '97-'98 team that lost to the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals, the uh, 0304 4 team that lost to the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the '12-'13 team that lost to the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And
1: yeah, so um, and the way that these are all set up, they have <laughs> my kind of permanent regions uh, based on the type of team they were. So for the '97-'98 team. Um, He has them in the not good enough region, um, which he defines as, you know, great teams that just lost to better teams. And that was problem with that uh, mid-90s era Pacers team that was so good and had so many great games and and really was a foundation for major boosts in the fan base here locally. So he's taken the best team from that era, which is what he was trying to do in all these. So, you know, you could argue There were a couple teams earlier. Obviously, that era would still include the team that played in the 2000 NBA Finals. But I agree that this team was, you know, the best team of that era. They proved it by really pushing the Bulls uh, further than pretty much anyone had. And, oh, some iconic moments in that, but really what it came down to. And I actually watched it, so I know Mark, you're going to have to Lean on my, uh, my old age here. <laughs> hey, I've
0: gone back and I've watched it. And just because I'm just cause I'm young doesn't mean I haven't kept up, you all right? YouTube's a thing. YouTube's a yeah.
1: thing. I know. Uh, but I, and I just remember, vividly remember, when Scottie Pippen was hounding Mark Jackson really in, in game one, flip that around and second half of game seven when it was so tight. And they're just getting away with being physical. <laughs> uh, you know, we can complain about the rest. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, about they weren't good enough to overcome that and, and the Bulls with that team were just long enough. And, you know, with Harper and Pippen and Jordan, I mean, they could guard anybody and and they were able to shut the Pacers down, um, quite a bit, but, um, that team was awesome. Obviously the iconic moment of, of that series when, uh, for the Pacers, at least in game four, when Michael Jordan pushed off or yeah, he didn't really push off. Let's say he, uh, you know, created separation <laughs> from Michael Jordan and, and hit a three. And, um, of course, Larry Bird didn't even, uh, blink or, or smirk or anything. Just sounds about right. <laughs> perfect reaction. Um, and then, you know, Michael rimmed out a crazy three at the buzzer, fortunately. So that tied the series and, and really was turned it into an epic series because you had that iconic moment there. And then, um, you know, the Pacers are, tied with about five minutes left in the game seven and just couldn't get over the hump. And, and you know, I have to agree with Pray on this one. You know, they just weren't good enough.
0: Yeah, no, I think what, what sticks out to me the most is that this is probably Reggie's last prime season. He still has good seasons after this, but he's 32. And uh, after this year, his his field goal percentages drop pretty significantly. He shot like 47% from the field this year, and he doesn't shoot above 44% uh, for the rest of his career. And I think that's what stood out to me, because this, this was like the last real, I don't want to say last chance with Reggie on the team, but last chance with Reggie at the helm a little bit. I mean, because he he kind of starts to take a backseat role after the season, and Jalen comes on and uh, starts leading the team, and then you have Jermaine after that. So I think that that's what sticks out to me the most. This is the, kind of Reggie's last punch, is, is that serious a little bit with him as the lead yeah. guy?
1: Yeah, and that's a good point. And also, you know, along with Reggie, um, you know, Mark Jackson's older, uh, getting older. You know, Smith's is, uh, you know, over 30 at that point. And so that, that core of, of that group of that era that had been building up, um, you know, this probably was their prime year for sure. And, and you know, you think he had. Yeah, you know, at that point, you had uh, Jalen Rose, Derek McKee, Antonio Davis coming off the bench. That's, you know, that's, yeah, that, that bench was stacked. Stuff. Um, so, you know, if I'm thinking of one of these three teams in my mind, I feel like this one would have been the best as far as getting the closest to winning the title. Um, just because, and for me, I think the main point is, you know, that core group had been playing together for a few years. They were mature. Their games were mature as far as playing with each other and knowing what to do, being well coached. It was a team that was ready to make a run at the Bulls and, and give them all they had. So for that reason, I think the maturity of that group compared to the other ones is what what set them apart as well.
0: Do you think that they could have actually beat the Jazz in the finals? Because the Jazz uh, give give the Bulls a hell of a series. It's one of the more notable ones. Um, personally, yeah. I, I'm. You, you think so?
1: Oh, I definitely think so. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a great series. I'm not saying they would have won, but I think it would have been uh, a solid series. I mean, they definitely had the size uh, to deal with the Jazz, and um, you know the way that the way those games were played then, um, it it would have been a battle just the way the Bulls battled with the Jazz. I think you know they're they're comparable teams.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it would have been, I don't want to say easier, but uh, I really liked what you said about the length of the Bulls because I think thats uh, it's more of a modern basketball. Uh, with the way that the Bulls played, having Ron Harper at yep. the point, I mean, their length was crazy on defense. I went back and watched a couple of those games as well as I've seen the Jazz series, and they just gave teams so many problems with the length that they created on the perimeter. And, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, John Stockton was a good defender in his own right, but it's a lot easier to drive on the inside when you've got – John Stockton on the perimeter instead of Ron Harper and uh dealing right. with Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan as well. So yeah, I totally yeah. was uh was on board with you there.
1: Yeah, those bulls were a problem.
0: <laughs> unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Unfortunately for Reggie's prime. The 0304 team is one that I actually, uh, you know, I, I dove into this team a lot today. I was really thinking about them hard. Jermaine <laughs> O'Neill has been heavily on my mind. Uh, and this team is really interesting to look at. I don't think I would say it's the best team in, in Pacers history. And I think you'd agree with me. But I mean, the record would say so. They finished 61 and 21, which is the top seed in the league. But really, I think the real thorn in the side is the, the Rashid Wallace trade that happens for Detroit. If, if Rashid Wallace isn't a Piston, I mean, I, I don't think it's – it's not like it wouldn't be a contest, but the, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Pacers make it to the finals.
1: Yeah, and, you know, really, again, these this team and all the success they had came down to that last series in the playoffs, just like that 98 team with the Bulls. Um, the series with the Pistons was just a, a killer. Um, and, and they had the moment, you know – you know, there was times late in that 98 team in the, in game seven where it's like, wait a minute, this might happen. We're mm-hmm. this close, you know, five minutes away. Um, well, you know, with that, um, Pacers Pistons series, you know, they are so close to going up 2-0. And then the, you know, the famous, again, an iconic moment for this team is that, uh, Prince block on Reggie. And that just, the whole series, and all of a sudden, it just all the air went out of the balloon, and you know, it was just a, a team that you knew was building up and going. After that deflating loss, obviously they come back the next year, and they are the best team in the East. And um, in fact, you know, you could argue that that team that had the brawl at, at the palace was a you know better team than this team, and. Probably should be on this list, even though in absolute terms, you know, they only won, you know, 44 games, and they obviously were going to make it after the brawl. But as a team, you know, up to that point, you know, that was that was that was the best that team had played in that era.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think what's it's it's wild to look at because, I mean, I think this team had a little bit more top end talent than uh, than the 97, 98 team. Uh, I mean, obviously, Jermaine finishes third in the MVP voting this year, and uh, Ron wins Defensive Player of the Year. Both are All-Stars and All-NBA players, and, but it, it, the bench was was not the same. I mean, we're talking about the 97-98 team, that bench was incredible. This yeah. bench, I mean, Al Harrington was is a nice sixth man, but uh, Anthony Johnson, Fred Jones, and Austin Crozier with Jonathan Bender isn't exactly the same ring as Antonio Davis and Derek McKee and Jalen Rose. And going back and looking at that series, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about how much of a rock fight it was. Was. Ron shot twenty nine point eight percent from the floor uh in that six game series against against the Pistons. Uh Fred Jones finished with the highest field goal percentage on the team at forty one point two percent. Uh which is just kind of wild to think about uh how that would pertain yeah, to now.
1: And I think we you know, we talked about the nine eighteen being well coached Larry Brown, but this team with Carlisle was really well coached, I think, and that helped make up for some of the talent deficiencies they had because of his skill as a coach. But you're right. That bench in particular was not reliable. I mean, test wasn't reliable either. I mean, um, as an offensive player at that point, uh, you know, he his calling card was defense, but he wanted to be a, an offensive player too. He wanted to be the two-way guy. And his game wasn't mature enough at that point. And this Team as a group wasn't quite mature enough as, as that play out, you know, the next year, obviously. But um, but you're right. That when you when you're comparing the two teams, you can see a lot more holes that that this team had to had to deal with uh, from a consistency. Basis that night, team, like I say, they were mature. They were so consistent. You knew what you were getting almost every night. So, um, it was a matter of, whether they were going to be good enough that night? But this team, they could play at a very high level, um, or they could play like, you know, they didn't know what they were doing sometimes, but most of the time they played at a high level and, and they had that, that talent with, with O'Neill just being an anchor in there and, uh, and dominating at times.
0: What's kind of interesting to look at as well with this series is where I guess maybe the kind of this era as a whole, you know, this is, uh, this is Jermaine's high, which is kind of wild to think about. He's 25 at this time. Uh, they lose in the Eastern Conference finals. He finishes third in MVP voting and he never makes an all NBA team again after this. Uh, and obviously the Brawl team happens next year. He would have been the face of that team. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my perspective coming from, uh, not necessarily being around during that time. Uh, I feel like Jermaine is not necessarily forgotten, but his, his time isn't remembered as, as well as it maybe would have been. If obviously, I mean, things would be better if the Brawl didn't happen regardless, but, um, I think we maybe don't always appreciate how great of a player he was.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he had maybe, Three or four years, I'll give him four years with the Pacers that were uh, incredible. And that was, you know, uh, his career was built on that. Um, and I think, you know, maybe the way his career ended with the Pacers um, was part of the reason he's he's remembered differently, I guess. Um, you know, he got the big contract, huge contract. And then, at that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... You know, the last few years he just struggled to stay on the court and avoid injury. Obviously, he came into the league at a very young age, you know, and and had those miles rack up when he was young. And for big men, that's not a good thing. Um, but, you know, there was always, you know, always whispering about how injured he is at times or how hard he's working to get back on the court. And it seemed like, you know, he he missed a lot of time. Um with some of those teams, and and I think that frustrated people, um, not just fans, but even I think people within the organization at times. So um, that was something that um, that kind of changed the view of him because he wasn't able to maintain that consistency, and you know, we don't know what you know he's doing to maintain his health throughout all that stuff. So um, there were always some questions about that, and and that's where. You know, his his, I guess, um, reputation, he wasn't able to build on, like I say, this year, his best year in his prime at 25. Really, his prime should be going through to about 20, 29. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we never got there, uh, unfortunately, because he was in and out of the lineup so much.
0: We hit it on it a little bit earlier, but I just want to reiterate uh, the 0405 team just was the talent on that team. It just cannot be overstated. I think that 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 is probably the most talented team in Pacer history. I mean that, that you add Stephen Jackson to the mix, uh who talent-wise is just an, an incredible incredible upgrade to have in there. I mean Reggie's still there. That team was was stacked and obviously, you know, things things happened that uh did not benefit down the stretch, but yeah, Yeah, so, I mean for
1: that for that era and for that that time in the Eastern Conference, they were built to win it and um and mm. It just
0: didn't happen. So moving on to uh to our next team, the 12-13 Pacers. This team, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> the this was the fun Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> I th- think pretty rightly placed in the overachiever category. Uh because I mean going back and looking, yeah. this is I mean, this is the series where Paul George establishes himself because coming into that, that series, I mean, it had a really good year. But this this series is when when people started talking about. I remember it was all over like you know Instagram and and Twitter back then. Uh, is Paul George the next superstar in the East? Like I, I remember that after the this Heat series because of how well he played and how well the Pacers played. It was just a, an incredibly fun, scrappy bunch of guys who I think Frank Vogel got a lot more out of than other coaches would have.
1: Yeah, you're right, and it, they were all of a sudden burst on the scene. Um, and they have this, this, um, big run, you know, in the playoffs. And then the series against the Heat, um, like the other two teams, you know, that was all the iconic moments for that year. You can, you can find in that series. The and, dunk over bird you know, man. I, Yeah. And, and, you know, when you look at where it went wrong, I mean, you have to go back, you know, just like we went with the game two with Trent's, you know, the Pacers, almost stole game one. They did take game two. They had game one and, you know, it's one reason I've never really been one to want to kill Paul George for not having the quote-unquote game winner until, you know, he left Indy because uh, he had some huge plays in that game one hitting a three and then having three free, free throws late in overtime in game one that just you know, was incredible pressure and Stepped up, may it happen. Um, but, but as beautiful as that was, um, the final play was, um, one no one will forget when Roy Hibbert is subbed out for Tyler Hansborough. Oh, boy. Um, so the inbound play with, with two and a half seconds left, LeBron's able to just attack Paul to the rim and, and score and win and, um, that was a killer. I mean, even after the game, Vogel said, you know, he probably wouldn't do that again. He had, I guess, sound reasoning, the argument being that Chris Bosch being at a you know, a stretch five and one of the early early stretch fives at that point, um, wanted someone who could get out and get him so they couldn't pitch the ball out to him for an open three. In hindsight, obviously, you'd much rather have Chris Bosch shooting a three even uncontested than LeBron James having to land without Roy Hibbert there to defend the rim. So yeah, one hundred percent. that was, a, that was a killer. Yeah. You know? A major and killer. That, you know, that was kind of one of those, oh, of course, couldn't hang on and, you know, that, but then they come back to Indy after winning and it still seemed like, you know, wait a minute, maybe, maybe this team is way better than we think. And, and the Heat don't have an answer for him. Well, they did. <laughs> yeah, um, they come back and, and clobber him in Game Three. And so LeBron is is still LeBron, and, and he just those guys were just a little too good at that point. And again, this team wasn't mature enough to um, to have that success and then build on it um, in that series and, and find a way to keep LeBron and company down. But man, that was a great run. It's it,
0: speaking on the maturity. You know, it's, it's interesting to think. Obviously, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the same player anymore because of injury, but you, you, wonder how different that series goes if, if Danny's there as a presence off the bench. I mean, obviously, he's sitting on the bench there. It's, it's a whole different, different level between actually playing and just being there, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, I would have been, a, if, if he's healthy for, you know, that two, three year stretch there, as Paul's turning into what Paul turned into, that's a difference maker pushing this team over the level, and maybe not making them title less because that level of talent that Danny had was was um, having him at kind of go into that second part of his career. I mean, he's he's a similar age player um, to Andre Iguodala. <laughs> yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Iguodala stayed healthy; Danny didn't. Uh, but you see that that type of veteran type of talent, um, similar type player and the impact they can have on a team with, you know, young talent coming into its own. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that, but that would have been really nice to have. Um, but again, that's one reason they got Danny Granger because he had, um, um, some knee red flags in the draft. So we got about everything we could out of him, I guess.
0: Definitely one of the saddest careers to think about as a pacer. He was a tremendous player. Um, one thing that sticks out to me, this team had a lot more depth than the 13-14 team. And we, we, we kind of talked about that uh, on, on the pod we did a couple weeks ago. As much shit as the Hansborough brothers get, um, they, they, they were a massive part of that team. Which I mean, obviously, Tyler never developed into the player that we thought he was going to be when he was coming out of college. Yeah, I always, I always look back at that because I, I, I forget. I think the 13-14 team so ingrained in my mind. And then I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll send a gift to somebody and Tyler Hansborough pops up when I'm type, when I type in Pacers. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot about him, which is always, I, it's always a funny thing.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I still think I like that, uh, 13-14 team better and the chance they had, I guess, just because of that additional year playing together. I know, uh, you know, Mike was kind of, He's pulling one team out of an era here. So, you know, basically he has the 11 12 through uh, 13 14 team here. Uh, Fourteen, Well, yeah, once once Paul got hurt, kind of killed that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in in his, his his thinking was, you know, this 12 13 team, their second half of the season, and the first half of that 13 14 team as a combined is, you know, extremely. You know, really elite, um, which is true, but the 13-14 team, even though they did have the second half of the regular season collapse, they did end up right in the ship for the playoffs and, and being able to make a run there to get to Eastern Conference Finals. So, but yeah, there are just too many issues, I guess, to overcome eventually against yeah. such a good team.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with you. I think it should have been the 13-14 team because regardless of the fact that they, uh, did fall down the stretch. Uh, I mean, I think that team was just miles better. I mean, Paul's he just builds upon this season and is even better the next year. Lance, I think Lance especially is the biggest improvement. I mean, he goes from being a borderline starter to being a um, he thought potential all star. Uh, we did not see all star that year. Obviously, it was like a triple double God. But that was a that was <laughs> what we got from Lance. awesome player to watch. But yeah, I mean, I just think that team was so much better all around the next year. So I I fully agree with you there, Tom.
1: Yeah, and then they were dialed in for the next year, but much like the 0-3-0-4 team, the circumstances didn't allow it.
0: Yep, certainly not. All right, well, Tom, that was fun, man. I uh, I I think that if if we could do this bracket, there would be a few more Pacers teams on here, maybe some different ones. But uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, man. I, I look forward to doing it next time.
1: Yeah, I appreciate talking with you, Mark. I'd love to hear what other fans think about. These different eras and which teams were the best because kind of fun to look back now. If we have some time to do so right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, thank you for listening to the Indie Cornrows podcast. If you have not already, please go rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and please let us know what you think about this episode. I'd love to hear what teams you guys think maybe should have should have been in here. Do you, do you like the teams that were picked? Just share some of your memories, stories that you got. I, I'll, I'll be looking on my computer. I know that's what I'm going to be doing the next couple of days. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Stay safe out there. Uh, keep social distancing and just have a good rest of your day.